Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is part two in our series on women in revenue, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Tracy Eiler. Tracy is the Chief Marketing Officer at Inside View. Very nice to have you on the program, Tracy. I want to talk a little bit about your background, but we're probably not going to talk too much about marketing today. Maybe we'll see, uh, but we're going to talk about women in the workplace, women in, in revenue. So thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great, and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, for those of you that are listening to this series, if you haven't listened to episode one with Sherry Johnston, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. And the reason this podcast series came about, for me, had a lot to do with International Women's Day. Uh, I was talking with my wife about it, and being a father of two daughters, which I know a lot of you know, I've mentioned on the podcast, I thought, well, maybe I'll do a blog post and celebrate that way with some of my thoughts about my experiences working with women and the women at Demand Gen. But the suggestion from Tiffany was, why don't you invite some folks from the Women in Revenue organization onto the podcast and let them share their stories. So thank you, Tiffany, for doing that. And thank you again, Tracy, for joining me. For those of you who don't know Tracy, she's very, very well known in the B2B marketing circles. Uh, she is a published author. She wrote the book Aligned to Achieve, which is how to unite your sales and marketing teams. That was published a couple of years ago by Wiley, so check it out if that topic is of interest to you, and I think for a lot of you it is. She's also on probably every one uh, of the top B2B lists these days. She's been in the top 20 women to watch in sales lead management. She's top 35 in women in sales. So Tracy, congratulations on all of your uh, success and notoriety and all the, the work that you've done there. Thank you so much, and I'm really excited to uh, to talk about the Women in Revenue initiative. Well, let's start off with the question that I asked Sherry, because I'd love to hear your answer, and I'm going to ask each one of you uh, the, the question, and we'll see where it goes. But what's it like to be a woman in business? I love my position uh, being female and being in business. Um, I have been working in B2B marketing teams since I was 16 years old. And I was a sales development rep um, when I was in high school and then continued on from there. Um, I've almost always been the only female leader on the management teams that I've been on. My first VP job, I think I was 30 or 31. And it's a uniquely challenging place to be, but I think at this point in the market, we can make an enormous difference. There's so much diversity movement happening out there, and companies want a more diverse management team. They want more diverse leaders, um, not just gender, but every other kind of point of view. And I think that, you know, being where I am in my career now, you know, almost 30 years in, I would say, um, I am very interested in the impact um, that I can have helping the next generation of leaders really grow and bloom. And, uh, and I see so much exciting uh, work happening with the next generation that's coming up through the folks that, you know, got out of college, let's say five, within the last five years and really helping them see where they can go male and female um, for that matter. So 
I love being a woman in business. Um, and I also know that I'm incredibly lucky to be in a part of the country and in a market, happen to be in a B2B SaaS technology company uh, working in San Francisco, where we are very much at the forefront of modern thinking and women in management. I work for a very enlightened CEO and it's not that way everywhere in the world and certainly not that way everywhere in our country. So, um, so I feel like there's a lot of, I have a lot of good fortune, um, but I've really, uh, you know, worked very deliberately at it also. Things have changed a lot. I would say that if you still go to most corporate about us or about our company pages and you look at the leadership teams, no surprise to you, right, that we're going to see, if we do see women on the leadership team, it's often in HR, it's often in marketing, or it's in customer uh, success. We're seeing more and more diversity today. Uh, And I talked a little bit at, at the end of the podcast that I do believe that some of the reasons that we've seen this change and shift is not because it was so intentional. I mean, it certainly has been, there has been discrimination, certainly. um, All we have to do is look at history and look at voting rights and driving rights and how it is in other countries. Let's not sweep that under the carpet. However, I do think that some of it was biological. It was how we as human beings evolved and developed and divided up the roles and responsibilities between the men and women, and that men would go and hunt and kill and bring back... um, food and women would nurture and care for children. At least that was something that Sherry and I talked a little bit about. But you're very Mm -hmm. unique, Tracy, very unique, because you went through a time in your life where you had to play all the roles. You had to be mom, you had to be dad, you had to be uh, the breadwinner. And and, um, I would love if you're willing to talk a little bit about that and if you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and and share what that period was like in, in your life. Sure. I, I mean, I'd love to share that story. And the roots of of my background are that I'm the oldest child of seven, and um, half my siblings are adopted, and the other half are um, homegrown or biologically generated, as we used to used to joke around and say. I have three sisters and three brothers. Um, when people ask me about my management style, I say I'm a big sister, right? You, you know, you're out in front of the pack, you're showing people where you need to go, um, you know, you're wiping bloody noses and feeding people and, and kind of scooping them up and encouraging them as you go along. Um, and that's very much the case of how it's been. My mom was an emergency room nurse um, and my dad was a PR executive. So I really had a weird blend um, at home and a, a lot of responsibility from a very young age. I didn't actually want children right away. Um, I knew that I wanted a family, but after taking care of so many other siblings, I I really wanted to focus on my career. And I had grown up back east and went to the University of Michigan and then moved to California um, in the late 80s and started my career and and got married, as many of us do in my late 20s, and, you know, thought it was the right relationship. Turned out it was not the right relationship at all, Um, ended up. Uh, being with a, a very not so nice uh, husband and uh, and happily got pregnant and um, had my son Luke, who's now seventeen, but my uh, my husband really struggled and ended up uh, with terrible addiction problems and uh, and was very violent 
And, uh, and I ended up leaving him uh, on Mother's Day when my son was wow. under a year old and, uh, you know, needing to get a restraining order and, and the whole nine yards. And I was an executive at the time um, at a software company called Business Objects. I had a global job running corporate marketing. Uh, my family was all back east. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had to get a restraining order in place. I had to set up a new place to live. And, you know, unfortunately, given the way that California law works, I was the primary breadwinner. And so I ended up having to pay him alimony for four and a half years, which was half the length of the marriage. And that was really tough. It was about 40% of my income. Um, luckily, my parents were amazingly supportive. They they owned a condo out here in California. And so my son and I were able to move in there rent free. Otherwise, I really don't know what I would have done. I would have not have been able to keep my job and, uh, and pay the alimony and pay for, uh, the childcare and so on. Um, but I was able to make it happen. Um, and you know, after that alimony nightmare was over, um, I was actually able to financially recover and buy my own home and, you know, provide that for Luke and me and renovate and so on. I was very proud of that. But through that whole time, I was a vice president in a software company. Um, and, uh, and that in a global job where I traveled a fair amount, um, you know, lucky for me, I had a really uh, superwoman mother who would either come to California to take care of my son when I would travel west, or I would bring him to her when I would travel east up until he was, you know, school age and so on. So that was very challenging. Yeah. And, you know, life happens to us, right? And, uh, you know, I think you can look around uh, at your coworkers and never know what's really going on for them at home or behind the scenes with their families and so on. And I, I'm very willing to talk openly about what happens to me because I think people need to hear that, um, you know, really tough, hard things can happen and you can make it through, but you really need your village around you. That's the, the my biggest lesson in all of this was, you know, the, the family support, the friend support, um, uh, knowledge, um, you know, uh, and even public health support. You know, I went to um, domestic violence counseling that was offered free from the um, the county that I was living in, which was amazingly helpful. So, you know, playing all of those roles was tough, but, you know, you step up. And I think anybody that's a parent knows that very primal feeling that you get when you look at your child and you know that you need to protect and provide for them, um, choices become much easier and clearer to make. And, you know, fast forward to where we are now, my son is 17 and, you know, a junior in high school looking at colleges. I'm remarried um, to a phenomenal, um, phenomenal man who's also a great stepdad. Um, he came into our life when Luke was uh, in first grade, but, you know, there were six, seven years there where I was just doing it completely, um, completely by myself. And a lot of people do, you know, there are, there are many circumstances where there are single parents um, around us and we might not always know. And uh, it brings its own unique challenges, especially when you're an executive with a big team and a global job and so on. I, I can't imagine what it was like for you to take all of that responsibility on. And, and I'm glad, by the way, love the happy ending that you have remarried and that you have um, 
found love and found the right person. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that, that Tracy wrote a book on sales and marketing alignment. And just because I know, um, by the way, her husband is someone that she used to work with. And guess what? He ran sales and she ran marketing. So talk about being able to align sales and marketing. You, you've taken it to a whole nother, whole nother level, which is, which is great. And by the way, if, if, if anyone heard that comment I made about the happy ending and remarried, I'm not saying that that, you know, marriage is, 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 needed for everyone in the world, but for those of us that have been and are in a happy marriage, it's it's certainly a wonderful thing to have the support system, and you didn't for a while, Tracy, and you you had to do it on your own. I was, I was thinking about the conversation with Sherry the other day and decisions that I've made in my career, and I would like to, I want to get to a question with you about, you know, the advantages of being a woman in business. As a man, especially early on in my career, I would always jump at the chance at a promotion. So if if something came my way and a manager said, hey, we have this new position uh, in this region, would you like to take it? I was yes. And that decision, by the way, Tracy, resulted in my wife, all of now two weeks, relocating with me and moving to Northern California. And not that my mother Mm. or father-in-law will ever listen to the podcast, but mm-hmm. it is now, as my daughter is approaching getting married, that I realized just what a shit I was. Like, I never even thought twice about, okay, I've just <laughs> gotten married, and now we're moving away from both of our families to Northern California to pursue my career. Now, I know my wife wanted to move. We were ready to get out of the San Fernando Valley, and so she was on board with it. It wasn't something that I forced her in in any way, and we're very happy up here. But you just make those career decisions, and that was relocation. I've made other career decisions where my company was acquired, and I commuted every week to Southern California, uh, every single week, and this was during 9-11 uh, year, and it was incredibly hard, but you, know, you just make the sacrifices that you do to provide for your family and to advance your career, and as I've gotten older and and certainly been now married through different transitions in life, I think about the challenges that women have as you're advancing your career, but then you're going to, in many cases, have children and how that might affect your career. When you did get pregnant and you know knew that you were going to give birth, what were you thinking at that time about how your career might change or pivot? I mean, you had this unfortunate situation where you not only had to be back at work, but you had to provide for everybody. But what did it, what was it like going through that process in your life where, okay, I'm very driven and I'm very career oriented and now I'm going to have a child. How did you balance or think about the future balance of getting back into your career? Uh, it sounds like even sooner than you necessarily intended. In my case, I always knew that I was going to be a mom one way or another, um, whether I was able to create a child biologically or whether I was going to adopt or foster parent. I knew that that was going to happen. So it was always part of my mental plan. Um, and by the time that I was um, kind of ready to be a mother, I was 34, 35, I think. So I, you know, I had been an, a VP by then, you know, four or five years. I had a very established um, role in a company, you know, where I'd proven myself already. And, you know, and I had a very strong team around me. So I knew that I could take you know, a four-month maternity leave, which was great. You know, the the ridiculous six weeks that some women are pressured into doing. Um, I just don't know how anybody handles that. Um, and I 
have, you know, really made deliberate choices about work-life balance as, as, as kind of trite of a term as that is, um, which is really about boundary setting. And, you know, you're talking about your example. Um, I have also leaned in every time there was an opportunity for a promotion or a special assignment or, you know, really cool, you know, international travel speaking engagement or whatever. I've, I've always tried to jump in and do that when I, you know, uh, I, I can't really even think of an example when I wasn't able to take advantage of it, but I did it in a very deliberate, open way with my, um, with whoever I was reporting to, with the CEO of the company, um, in, in ways of like, look, I can do this international travel. I can go to France every quarter for a week, which happened to be um, when my son was an infant, um, the cadence that I was on in that particular company. Um, but I'm going to need to add travel days on either end so that I can bring my child with me and drop him off to his grandmother, you know, things like that. I've always been very deliberate and open about the kinds of things I needed to be doing to support my family in that context. And even today, um, my husband is a sales VP. He's on that crazy quarterly cadence that, you know, sales executives are in. Um, And we really endeavor to um, never be away from home more than two to three nights at a time if we can, um, not be away at the same time, um, you know, and even though our son is 17, uh, you know, and technically he could stay by himself, we try and never really do that more than let's just say one night of local travel. Um, and even today, I'm very um, conscious about boundary setting. So for instance, um, he doesn't happen to have a first period at school um, this year in his junior year. So he has a later start, um, and there are some days of the week where he doesn't have to be at school till 10. Now, yes, I could stick him in an Uber like I did this morning because I had a very early morning, um, but I like to drive him to school. That's, that's part of our time together. And so I've just been very open at work, you know, with my boss, the CEO, hey, three days a week, I'm not, you're not going to see me before 11. Now I'm going to be online. I'm going to be working. Um, but I think that the, the point in all of this is, I think as working parents, and especially when you're in a leadership position where people are really watching you to set an example, um, setting boundaries and being very communicative about your family and uh, where your priorities are is completely okay. And I think it's something that women are are leading the charge on. Um, I know many working dads who have felt very reticent about being open about you know, leaving at three o'clock on Thursdays because they're coaching Little League. They'll come up with some other, you know, euphemism for why they're leaving early. And I see that changing now. I have a colleague yesterday bouncing out of here at three o'clock because, you know, Little League practice starts at four. And, you know, I think that that is a phenomenal support system when we can be open with our colleagues um, about how we are juggling and how we are flexing our hours. And that's really something that companies can do and should do in order to attract more working parents, but especially in order to attract more women who still um, are, you know, stereotypically or typically um, maintaining kind of the health of the home, um, you know, more than their partners. Yeah. No, we could have a whole episode on that one for sure. Listening to you bring up so many things uh, in my mind. I I do remember in the 90s, 
I used to coach um, girls soccer under 12, under 14, 16, 18. And if anybody does the math, like, well, you didn't have kids that age. Um, I coached my neighbor's kids because she was mm-hmm. a single mom and she had uh, three girls. Two of them were twins and I coached all of them until I started coaching my girls. And you say it's great and I loved it. I mean, it was phenomenal, but I would feel so guilty leaving the office. I worked in mm-hmm. Alameda back then. And so I would leave the office at around 4.30 to be able to get there in time for coaching and practically like changed in the car at, at lights on the way. Um, but I felt, I felt really guilty. I don't think I would feel that way these days anymore. Um, maybe I've matured or maybe the, the workplace is, is more receptive of, of work-life balance. Um, by the way, for all of you listening, I mentioned Carlos Hidalgo on the episode with Sherry. He's a good friend of mine, colleague of mine, and he is working on the book, uh, The Un-American Dream, because he struggled with work-life balance. It's a topic that keeps coming up. So I reached out to him last night, and I said, hey, Carlos, I think it's time to have you on the podcast. So he will be on coming up and talk about the book and talk about his TED Talk and just his experiences there. But I just wanted to let you all know that, because I think this is a topic that all of us certainly, I'm going to say the word struggle with, because you're never in balance. You're always out of balance. And that's just part of what life is all about. But, you know, how do you deal with it? And I love what you said, uh, Tracy, which is about having work-life boundaries. And I think Carlos supports that. I know he does. Let me ask you a question before we run out of time. I want to get to two things. One, uh, I want to talk about your analysis of the women in revenue research that you did. So if, if, by the way, if it wasn't clear, you didn't read the description, Tracy is one of the co-founders of Women in Revenue, uh, and it's womeninrevenue.org. And the the group, the association, is a group of, of leaders and up-and-coming up leaders in sales and marketing and, and other uh, impact roles uh, based out of San Francisco. They've got 450 members. There is no cost to membership. So if you are a female and you would like a peer group and, and to get possibly some support, uh, beyond these conversations on the podcast, check out womeninrevenue.org. But Tracy was very involved in the research and analysis, uh, so we'll get to that. But here's a question I want to ask uh, that I alluded, alluded to earlier. We talk about the challenges of being a woman in the workplace, and we've talked about diversity and compensation, and you know, I don't want to get to where it's all the negative elements, because let's face it, there are some very positive elements of being a woman. So that is my question to you, Tracy, in your career. And as you see it, how is being a woman an advantage in business, if you can lean in there? I think being female has been a big advantage for me, um, especially because I come from a, a line of very strong women going back to my grandmother, who was a school teacher, um, you know, back in the 30s, um, not only drove a car, but owned a car, which sounds so ridiculous to say now, but, you know, <laughs> really mattered. And when my grandfather went off to World War II, you know, she took a second job um, in a cannery, but then they discovered she was actually smart and had her, you know, basically run finance after that. Um, and then leading to my own mom, who was an ER nurse, as I mentioned, and basically, you know, can just like handle stress like nobody I've ever seen. My own experience, I have really been able to use my gender to my advantage. So for example, I used, I talked about um, a big sister management style. I have been able to use that persona very effectively with my male colleagues, with male bosses, with male board members, um, where, you know, there, there's a, 
a dynamic that I have seen happen when you're the only female, but then when you are in a more balanced organization, when you're the only female, I think it's, it's much harder often to even just get a word in edgewise. Um, you know, we, uh, when we did a, the, um, we did a webinar uh, releasing the women in revenue survey research, which is also in an ebook. So if your um, audience goes to women in revenue.org, they can download our research. And I personally wrote that ebook and did a lot of secondary research in addition to our own primary research about the issues and challenges, but also what can companies do and what can our male colleagues do. And um, one of the hottest topics that came out of this webinar was, hey, how do I get a word in edgewise? I'm getting talked over, my ideas are not getting listened to, you know, and so on. And um, one of the guests on my webinar is a guy named Nate Skinner, who's VP of marketing at uh, the Pardot division of Salesforce. And, and he talked very consciously about how we need to make conscious choices about how we're going to support each other um, and amplify each other's voices. And women, we need our male colleagues in this movement or change. Um, we, our brothers are necessary. We cannot do this alone. And I have had phenomenal male colleagues and bosses um, who have amplified my voice, who have supported me, who have put me out in front when they could have been the one out in front, but they said, no, you, Tracy, you take the stage, you know, you, you be the one to speak on this. And our own research, um, and this comes from both McKinsey and, uh, and a really cool organization I found out about called Fairy Godboss, which is the nation's largest networking organization for women. Um, they, the combination did a, a, a bunch of research, basically, measuring the top attributes of um, women and how it compared to men. And women outranked men in a number of areas, um, not only things that you would assume would be true, like um, developing other people, inspiring and motivating others, mm -hmm. building relationships cross-functionally, but also things that you might stereotypically think are more male characteristics, like driving for top-line results, um, uh, taking initiative, uh, uh, you know, tackling the hardest problems and so on. And, and I find that those things are, are definitely true um, for me as a, a, a woman leader. And in my current company, our CEO, Umberto Maletti, um, very deliberately has built our leadership team. And when I interviewed for this role four years ago, I, I remember saying to him, okay, what's up with all the females? Like, I don't get it. Normally I'm the only one. And I, you know, I go and look at the inside view website and it's half women. Like, and it's not just in HR or in customer success, like you pointed out a moment ago. Um, you know, it was our head of IT and our head of enterprise sales and so on. And he just said, look, you know, I really see that having a gender balanced management team makes a big difference. And in my own personal experience, the way it feels is, you know, the, the women speak up much more and more confidently. The men listen better. And I think it, the vibe that I feel is almost like I'm with a group of my cousins. You know, if you have a big yeah. family and you have a lot of cousins, you know how that, how that, uh, you know, how that experience is where you're kind of supporting and teasing each other at the same time. Sometimes you talk over each other, but most of the time you're kind of, you know, all pro family, right? Like let's go team. 
And, uh, and that is definitely how it feels. And I think that um, for a, a CEO to be deliberate about it, um, to use Nate Skinner's word, intentional, um, it is really where things are very much changing. And I, I think we're starting to see that in other parts of the country and in other parts of the market, um, you know, as well. I appreciate it. Uh, and I, again, my experiences, especially early on in my career, having women as managers is the whether you call it like the big sister approach, that very coaching, very nurturing, really wanting the bet to get the best out of me uh, and giving me opportunities to grow and thrive. So it's it's just something I experienced early on in my career. I know nothing else. I've certainly worked for both men and women and and certainly in our organization, as I've shared, you know, we're sixty percent women leaders, we're sixty percent female across the organization. And it it's not we're not intentional in our hiring practices there. We just hire the best and that's that's the way the chips have um, stacked up and it's, it's great. Well, I know that you have a short day today, so I'm going to let you get going. And for all of you listening in, I hope you are thinking about if you're a man, just understanding, uh, gender differences and, and hearing this and, and some inspiration and maybe some empathy, uh, as well. And maybe some things that to consider about in terms of how you're shaping your organization. And for women, definitely one key takeaway is if you're looking for peer support, check out womeninrevenue.org. Uh, next on the series is going to be Julia Stead. Julia is also a founding member and uh, VP of Marketing at Invoca. And the reason I want to get Julia on the program is because she is at home right now with her two-month-old baby boy. And what is she going through? And is she missing work? Is she enjoying that time? And how is she balancing and uh, stuff? So that is coming up next on the next episode. But Tracy, thank you for joining me and and sharing your insights. I'm so glad uh, that your journey has turned out as it is and that you've um, made such a contribution, not only at your own organization, but one of the B2B thought leaders and contributors to uh, this industry. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Well, that is going to do it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. As always, I have to say last month, holy cow, we just broke all new records in terms of listenership. And that means that all your feedback to me on who we're bringing on the program and what we're delivering to you is making a difference. So thank you. Please continue to send me your feedback and thoughts and suggestions of who to have on the program. And that is going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 